even through through my drug use, through all of you know, just different different points in, in my life in the uh, using drugs, always had this thought in my heart, and the thought was that you were created for more. You are not created for this life. You are created for more, and that thought in me was what eventually led me to get help. I think for, you know, for once in my life, I was feeling so much peace and um, I hadn't felt that in so long. This is the best high like anybody can have, you know, to be in relationship with God and that intimacy that you can have with him this outweighs any drug I've ever done. I really began to feel God put a burden on my heart for um, the nations. It was like in my heart I could feel people from other countries, just their brokenness and their lostness, and that would just break my heart. I can't remember at one time all of those different women being in our house and us sitting in our living room and just praising God and worshiping Him and the Lord just saying, like, this is what you saw. You know, this is what you saw in your heart years ago. Hey, my name is Neely. I'm a wife, a mom, a sister, a friend, and a missionary. And this is my Get Up Girl story. Hey girl, welcome to this week's episode of Get Up Girl, a podcast inspired by women of all cultures and backgrounds who have been toe-to-toe in the ring of discouragement, disappointment, defeat, and how they got back up to fight. Each episode, we'll be discussing, well, all the things. Marriage, business, parenting, racial divides, grief, loss, and everything in between. We believe that you will be encouraged by these women through their stories. So come on, girl, it's time to get up. So I grew up here in Shreveport, and I grew up in a very loving family. I am the baby girl of three, so I'm the baby in my family, which is a lot of fun. And uh, I grew up, my parents brought me to church from a young age. I started going to the church daycare when I was about two years old. And so most Sundays, our family was in, in church. And I came to know Jesus at the age of nine, which was mm-hmm. neat. I still remember accepting God into my heart and just having that moment of realizing that God was real and that I needed him and accepting him. And so that happened at the age of nine. And then um, later on in my life, I remember experiencing the presence of God at a youth camp. And that was really the first time for me that I guess God became more real. (laughs) When Mm -hmm. I was nine years old, it was you know, I heard about God and, okay, yes, he's real. But then when I was 12 years old, God became more real to me. And it was, um, I was at a youth camp and everyone was worshiping and they turned the lights down. And I just remember feeling the peace of God and the presence of God. And I felt so convicted over my sins. And wow, I actually at 12. at 12. Wow. And it was funny because I actually went and confessed 
all my sins, which were so many at age 12, <laughs> to my youth pastor and, um, and, and was just really feeling the conviction of God. And, and yeah. they led me in prayer. And um, now I really look back to that moment and just realize that that was really me experiencing God's presence and his power um, at such a young age. And so um, the church that I went to, um, they taught us a lot about God, and um, I'm sure they taught us how to have a relationship with God, but I think I missed that part. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, we just skipped right over that. <laughs> and so uh, for me, you know, I never really learned the personal part of having a relationship with God. Mm-hmm. Uh, my family came to church. We were there on Sundays. Um, when we went home, we never really talked about God. Um, so God was, to me, God was kind of someone that I visited at a church. Yeah. And then when I came back home, he wasn't really talked about. And so um, so the personal relationship part, I never really cultivated. I never really had and um, so from a young age, I started to venture off into drugs and alcohol and smoking cigarettes. Um, at the age of 12, wow. I smoked my first joint of marijuana. And I don't really know why I did it, um, but I was curious. And um, all of my friends were relatively good. We were... Uh, I would say kind of popular kids. We were very involved in uh, student council and cheerleading and made good grades. I was Mm -hmm. on honor roll my whole life pretty much. Um, And so pretty much everything on the outside, I was a normal kid. And I just started experimenting early with things. And that um, eventually led me through more Mm -hmm. um, wrong doors and bad choices over time. And so um, I'll fast forward. Let's see until I was, do you want me to fast forward? Yeah, well, I have a question before we move forward. How at 12 years old did you even get your hands on marijuana? (laughs) You just got a big (laughs) smile on your face. (laughs) Like, well. I mean, I had older friends. Yeah you know, friends that were 15 and 16. And so they had access to that. Okay. And so it was there. Yeah. It was just there. It was there. It was available. We were, I, I, we normally hung out with older kids. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, they had been exposed to those things. And so they were the ones that were, you know, had it and introducing, Mm. introducing it to us at such a young age. Yeah. Um, And what was your first experience with that like I mean did you enjoy it or was it more of no so the first few times it was more of like peer pressure you know Mm -hmm. you're there you're with your friends you're trying something new for the first time and so it was kind of awkward and you don't know what to do you know what do you what do you do and what's this feeling and so Mm -hmm. I would say like the first few times it was it was weird but then I think we just kept on hanging out with those kinds of friends and doing those things. And so eventually that became our normal. That kind Mm -hmm. of became something that I did. Um, And so, yeah. Okay. I was just curious. I just, like, you said 12, and Mm -hmm. I'm thinking, which, I mean, 
I understand at 12, there's a lot that you're already exposed to, but like my initial thought was like, God, that's still a baby. Yeah. You know, it is. but, and like, I, mean, I think, that, well, one of the things before I smoked marijuana was, um, we would steal my friend's mom's Capri 120 cigarettes, Oh, which are like pencils. If you've ever seen those kind of cigarettes. Like the Cruella de Vil? Yes. Oh, wow. <laughs> so we would take those <laughs> and go and try to smoke them. And of course we didn't inhale the first few times, but then yeah. eventually we figured it out. <laughs> so, Did she notice that they were gone? think so I mean we would we were uh we were very sly in our ways should I say so we would you know if they had a carton of cigarettes we would kind of rearrange them where they couldn't see that we had stolen and Mm -hmm. we were very deceptive at 12 we were doing things that were very bad you know I know people have always said that marijuana is a gateway drug to other drugs and I can remember you know, being young and thinking, I would never do marijuana. That's something I would never do. And for me, like marijuana really opened up the door for other drugs in my life. And so um, I would say by the time I got to high school, I was already starting to dabble in other things um, in pills and in cocaine and in um, ecstasy and other substances um, that were were pretty serious things and so um you know at that age I really didn't have any friends that were Christians um most of my friends were partying and you know they didn't really know God at all Mm -hmm. and so I think that was a big influence on me was the friends that I had and the things that we were doing and um I kind of started to enjoy that lifestyle. You know, I started um, to like the partying and going out and getting high and the feeling I got from those things. And so that kind of became my normal. And um, like I said before, I um, have always loved learning, loved school, I've always been on the honor roll. And um, even all through high school, I made really good grades. I was in honors classes. Um, and so everything on the outside looked good. I mm-hmm. was a cheerleader. Um, I was able to do everything, you know, that I was supposed to be doing at that age. But on the weekends, during the week, I was really living this whole other life of partying and using drugs. And I would just say for a long time, I enjoyed it. Yeah. I enjoyed it. Did your parents know? Yes, I think they did. Okay. Um, of course, um, you know, I would come home and my mom, she was a great mom and she stayed on me. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, you know, she, I, I think she did know. Um, and, but I don't know what kind of, you know, if parents really want to believe that, you yeah. know, their daughter's doing those things. Um, and I was just, you know, I wasn't afraid of anything. That was the thing, like, nothing scared me like I would just do anything which is scary yeah (laughs) which is scary (laughs) um and so you know I really took things to an extreme level (laughs) yeah and um and I did that in my drug use wow and um so whenever I uh, graduated high school I graduated from Bird and I decided to go to the biggest party school in Louisiana because 
that was the direction my life was heading. Mm -hmm. And so um, I decided to go to UL. University of Lafayette. Okay. I, I really thought you were about to say LSU. No. <laughs> UL beats LSU as far as parties? I don't know. Maybe. <laughs> maybe on a little bit smaller scale. <laughs> yeah. Okay. But um, I decided to go there, and so um, there were only me and two other girls from high school that were going to that school. Um, and so it was really a whole new experience, um, was going to be new set of friends, um, you know, going into college for the first time, all of those things. And so, um, I would say my first few months, whenever I, uh, got down there was really when things started getting bad, worse. Mm -hmm. Um, and so this is when I started having a lot of blackouts after I would use drugs and I would drink. Um, I would just blackout during the night. I like, I would still be awake, but I would have blackouts. I would have blocks of time that I could not account for. And so, um, like I said, for some reason I had this, I'm not afraid of anything, you know, I will do anything. But once that started happening, that really started to scare me. Mm-hmm. And um, and that didn't keep me from doing those things, however. Mm-hmm. But um, it did kind of alert me, like, you know, what is this? You know, this isn't, this isn't common. And so um, I just kept using. I kept um, partying and, and doing those things. And... Um, Actually, about, um, well, let me back up for a second. I actually rushed a sorority when I was there. Um, I did uh, Find Me. And, um, and so that was another, I think, just adding to my partying, my mm-hmm. going out lifestyle, just um, all of those things. And so um, whenever I was down there, I was actually raped on... Um, a night so it was like a date rape thing Mm -hmm. um and that was a very very I think like shocking moment for me an eye-opening moment for me um whenever that happened because it actually happened in one of my blackout moments um that I had been having and so um after that um that kind of really sent me into more of a downward spiral Mm-hmm. And um, there, I did end up pressing charges and going through with an investigation and all these kind wow. of things. Um, can, can I ask you mm-hmm. a couple questions about that? Mm-hmm. And you don't have to answer yep. if you don't want to. But was it someone that you knew? Or no. total? So it wasn't. Um, I said I had rushed a sorority. And so it was actually like at a party mm-hmm. with um, people that I had just met that were from that area that mm-hmm. I didn't know. They didn't really know me. And um, we had all been out drinking that night and partying and using drugs and all these kind of things. And so it was actually in one of in a blackout that I had yeah. that it happened. And so. So how did you come to. um find out who it was uh, you know with it being during one of those mm-hmm. blackout moments so there was like a moment when I woke up and I knew what was going on and then I blacked back out mm-hmm. and so um then the next morning when I woke up I was just like oh my gosh was that a dream 
Um, and I knew it wasn't like, I just knew, okay, this, this was real, this really happened. And, um, and so, you know, I just quickly left and because I didn't know those people, um, I had a sorority sister there that I had recently met and we didn't know each other very well. She didn't know my background. Um, you know, I began to tell her what had happened and, and these were her friends. And, um, so, you know, the, the way it eventually worked out was um, I did end up pressing charges and kind of the conclusion of everything was after they had um, interviewed everyone, they said that, you know, everyone was drinking that night and a lot. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we were all at the intoxication level. And so um, it was really hard to build a report because all of us were, you know, legally intoxicated. Yeah. And so um, there were, you know, results that came back that showed it did happen. But basically they said, you know, we weren't, we weren't really going to be able to go through with it because all of you were drinking. Um, you were all at a level of intoxication. So, mm-hmm. um, so we pretty much dro- dropped it at that point. And, um, and that really hit me hard. Um, and I think I just... Um, just really spiraled down and, you know, just felt um, just I had been betrayed and, and, uh, you know, just the level of mistrust and Mm -hmm. um, that I had felt. And so literally I just, you know, went way farther into my drug use and just to numb all of the pain and um, just to not feel, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, to not feel those things and to not deal with what had happened. Yeah. And so, um, I eventually flunked out of school, which, um, my whole life I had always made like 3.8, yeah. 4.0. So, so that was something new. Yes. So I flunked wow. out with a 0.8 grade point average, Whoa. 0.8. So being 3.8, 4.0 my whole life. And then, you know, flunking out of the or not flunking out but flunking out for that semester with the 0.8 was a a big thing and so um, I ended up moving back home and um, just still continued to run you know still Mm -hmm. continued to just do my own thing and numb the pain and try to hide and try to get higher and just try to avoid um life and mm-hmm. and how old were you I was um I was 17 when I went to college so this all happened in, in your the, first mm-hmm. year at college in my first year wow okay yeah okay. and um and so when I came back I yeah just continued down that path and um the cool thing the redeeming part of my story, um, which is so neat and God is so good, is that even through through my drug use, through all of, you know, just different different points in, in my life in the uh, using drugs, I always had this thought in my heart. And the thought was that you were created for more. Mm-hmm. You are not created for this life. You are created for more. And that thought in me was what eventually led me to get help. And now looking back, I know that that was the Holy Spirit. That was God inside of me saying, I haven't created you to be a drug addict. 
haven't created you to live this life of addiction. I've created you for something more. Mm-hmm. And um, and I, I love that just in my darkest, darkest moments, I could hear that. And I didn't, like, because I didn't really know God at the time, you know, I didn't associate that that was God. But looking mm-hmm. back now, I know that God was constantly pursuing me and trying to get me to come back to him. Mm. And um, and so eventually um, it was really just one night and I was just so fed up with my life and it wasn't fun anymore. I was tired of waking up and with the guilt and the shame and um, just not knowing who I was. And so one night I just cried out to God and I was like, God, if you're real, like you have to help me. I don't know what to do mm-hmm. <laughs> because I don't have any friends <laughs> that are Christians. Yeah. yeah, I don't even know where to go. I don't know where to go, but you've got to help me. And so the next morning I smoked my last joint. I got in my car, I smoked my last joint and I drove to a treatment center and I was like, maybe they can help me. And um, I went in there and I was like, I need help. <laughs> mm-hmm. Somebody help, please. <laughs> and so that really began the journey of a new life um, with God. I didn't know what all I was getting into. Um, I was just like, okay, I'm coming here to get help from uh, Brentwood, from a treatment facility. And um, I had no idea you know, where my life would take me mm-hmm. <laughs> at that point. And God is so good. He knows, and, and he has such a wonderful plan for us. But um, that really began my journey. I ended up staying in the treatment center for 10 days. And so they just kept telling me there, um, because their program is AA, Alcoholics Anonymous. And so they just kept telling me, you know, you just need to pray that God will keep you sober today. So I was like, okay, that's what I'm going to do. So I would just kneel in my bed, and I'm like, I mean, we're in a treatment facility. Like, of course, we're going to somewhat stay sober there. We're locked in there. Yeah. (laughs) But uh, I would just pray this simple little prayer, God, keep me sober today. And I had a roommate there that was a mom that her brother was a pastor, and he actually came and led me in a prayer to recommit my life to Christ and gave me a Bible. And God was just setting up the pathway in front of me just step by step. And so um, I, I stayed there 10 days, and then they basically told me, you know, if you don't want to go back to your old life, then you need to change your friends and the places where you used to hang out. Mm-hmm. I was like, okay, well, I guess I'm going to literally have to ditch all of my friends because (laughs) every one of, you know, my friends was doing the same thing I was and the places I was going to. And so they said, if you really want to change your life, we suggest you go into a halfway house. And I was like, isn't that for crazy people? You know, I've heard of halfway houses like that's that's for crazy people and I'm not crazy. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And so they explained to me what it was. I'm like, okay. (laughs) I can go there. And so um, I went and uh, I ended up staying in a a women's halfway house uh, for 10 months. I think for, you know, for once in my life, I was feeling so much peace and um, 
I hadn't felt that in so long, Mm -hmm. you know, after years of, of thinking in your mind that you were crazy and then realizing, no, you're not, (laughs) you're a normal person. Um, you can have peace was, was huge for me. And, um, so I pretty much just did everything they told me to do because I honestly, I was desperate. Like I did not want to have the life that I had anymore. And so whatever they told me to do, I was like, okay, I'll do it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, um, so we went to, you know, AA meetings every day, almost every day. Um, and when I was living there was when I found Shreveport community church mm-hmm. and, uh, started attending there and, um, And that was really just the beginning of God beginning to really transform my life and really come in and deal with and heal all of the brokenness um, that I had hid away for all those years. Mm. Yeah. Um, And so that really began the journey of healing. What was your relationship with your parents like during that time? Um, Like when you were at the halfway house and, Mm. you know. It was really good. Um. It makes me cry (laughs) because, um, you know, for so many years, I was so mean to my parents, so mean and manipulative. And um, after about a week or two, or maybe maybe it was about a month, I had been in the house and my parents would come to visit me. Um, They said, we'll do whatever, you know, to support you. (laughs) And, And my mom, she looked at me and she was like, you're so nice. (laughs) And, um, and it was just, you know, I really knew that, okay, God was doing something in my life and he was really changing me. Um, and so, uh, my parents were, they were very supportive and just walked with me the whole time and were there and they started coming to church. Uh, they started coming to, to Shreveport community church and, um, yeah. Wow. That's, (laughs) well, just a quick break to get these tears off of our face right here. Um, I so wish people could see, I mean, I know people who know you will know this, but for people who would be listening that don't know you, I just wish they could like see your face because you're just you just radiate joy mm. and kindness and like even like just then when I asked you that question, like you smiled so big, even <laughs> as tears like came down. But like you can just tell, you know, mm. like the Lord, the Holy Spirit's just all over you. It's mm. just I don't know, it just pours out of you. It's very encouraging. But thank you. Um, so what was your those 10 months that you were there at that halfway house, I mean, what was that road like? You said you loved it. Mm-hmm. So what what <laughs> I, was your I drank a like? lot of coffee. Okay. That's what you do <laughs> when you get off of alcohol or drugs. You yeah. drink a lot of coffee. <laughs> okay. That's good to know. Um, uh, there at that house for the first month, you don't work. So it's just kind of an intake period. You're just there kind of getting acquainted with everything. Um, and then after that, you can work. And so I have a really cool story. Um, I I applied for a job as a dental assistant, and uh, I went and interviewed with the the dentist dentist there. And like I said, I was just honest with people. I think for so long I had been, you know, lied to myself, lied to other people that 
I just wanted to come clean <laughs> yeah. with whoever. Yeah. And so honesty really became a big thing for me in the beginning. I mean, in the beginning, still now it is a big thing. <laughs> but um, just for clarity. Yeah, just We're for clarity. Still it's still, I'm still honest, still an honest person. Um, but I just wanted, you know, to be honest with people and for people to know. And so I went to the interview and I told the dentist, hey, this is my story. <laughs> Look, I've, this is where I've been. This is my story. I'm just now living in this halfway house. Mm-hmm. Um, so if you want to hire me or not, you know, <laughs> that's up to you. There it is. Yeah. There it is. And so he looked at me and he said, you know what? He said, I'm willing to give you a chance. And I ended up working there for five years. Wow. Yes. And um, and it was a great, great experience. He was a wonderful, wonderful boss. Mm-hmm. Um, just taught me so many practical things and um, so many things um, just about life. And, um, and so life in the halfway house was... Um, it was fun. There was always something going on with 12 women. Sure. You can imagine that have all had crazy lives and yep. now they're trying to have a <laughs> a sane life. And it's all coming together in one place. Yeah. And so, um, so it was neat. Uh, I had a good friend that was there um, and me and her kind of hung out together. We kind of did the church thing together. Um, not everybody in the house was, you know, a Christian or was going to church. And so, um, me and her kind of did the God thing together Mm -hmm. and we were a little bit zealous at times. (laughs) I think, um, being there, um, it really gave me structure and that was something I really needed. Um, I needed to learn how to get up and do the same thing and make my bed and be responsible and make dinner and Mm -hmm. just do life things that I really didn't know how to do and have a job and be faithful in my job. And so um, I think the halfway house really gave me a good foundation, a good structure to be able to move out on my own eventually and, um, and do life. Yeah. So... And so when you started going to Shreveport Community Church, what was that like for you getting back? Because, you know, your last experience, Mm -hmm. like where you said you felt that conviction of the Mm -hmm. Lord and like you really had that experience with the Lord was when you were 12. Mm -hmm. So now you're, what, 19 at this point? I'm 19, yeah. Okay. So what was that like getting back into church? Mm -hmm. That was so exciting. Um, I grew up in a Baptist church, and so... In the Baptist church I grew up, you didn't raise your hands, um, you know, you sung from a hymnal. Um, and at Shreveport Community, people were raising their hands. There was like this big band. And so at first I was like, whoa, God, this is, what is going on here? Um, and so it was a little bit they get diff- rowdy. Yeah. I love it. <laughs> so it was a little different from, from what I was used to. But um, eventually, you know, I just, I loved it. And I loved being in the presence of God mm-hmm. and, you know, feeling his presence again and, just knowing that my sins were forgiven, you know, that everything I had ever done, that I was forgiven now, you know, and um, I love that the Bible says that, you know, when we're forgiven, our sins are wiped away as, as white as snow. And there's so much freedom in that. (laughs) There's so much freedom when you know that you're forgiven 
that you're forgiven of everything you've ever done Mm -hmm. and that God loves you. He loves you unconditionally. And so those first few years at Shreveport Community were really about me just receiving God's love, his forgiveness, his peace, and just resting in that. Mm -hmm. Um, And God's love is really, really what changed me, you know, and I just remember uh, there would be times I would just come home and just worship in my room and just feel the presence of God and just feel so loved and so encouraged by God. And I was like, this is the best high like anybody can have, you know, to be in relationship with God and that intimacy that you can have with him this outweighs any drug I've ever done. Yeah. You know, it was just like, oh my gosh, how come everyone doesn't know about this, you know? And um and God just began to wreck me with his love just over and over, just and he still does to this day, you know, I yeah. still feel like I'm learning about God's love um in ways. So you graduated for well, is that the correct term from the halfway house? Yeah. Graduated. Yeah. You transitioned out. Yeah. <laughs> and so what was life like after that? I mean, you're in church and mm-hmm. you're, I mean, you're just soaking everything in. Mm-hmm. And so now back on your own feet, what was, what was that transition like? Yeah. So I found me a house to rent, mm-hmm. my little God house. It really was a God house because I drove by, drove by this house one day and it had a for sale sign. And I was like, that is so cute. And, and I went and, and looked at it, and uh, the guy, the landlord that was renting it out, he was like, I'm sorry, somebody's already, you know, promised that they're going to live here. I just hadn't taken the sign down yet. And so I was like, oh, my God, this was so, like, I truly felt like, like this could be it. And so I was like, oh, well, you know. And so about a month passed, and I was still looking around for houses, and that guy ended up calling me back. And he was like, hey something fell through with the person that was going to rent this. Do you still want to rent the house? I was like, oh my gosh, yes. (laughs) So I I got a house. I I had my job. I was really um, getting back on my feet. Uh, My parents helped me a lot during that time. And actually, um, the dentist that I worked for, he was the one that started encouraging me to go back to college. And I was like, well, I don't know. From that 0. 0.8, 0.8 grade point average, you know, that was still in yeah. the back of my mind, that failure and that, yeah. um, you know, I had really messed that up. <laughs> and so he kept telling me, you can do it. I know you can go. And and so in time, um, I ended up going back to school. I went to LSUS. I started out at LSUS and went there and was working and um, was still going to church, um, mm-hmm. was also really involved in church during that time. Was I started serving in the youth group. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was when I met Pastor Philip and Destiny Dees. Okay. yeah. So they knew me from the very beginning, Aww. and um, they just took me in and loved me yeah. and spoke life over me and believed in me. They um, do that very well. They do. <laughs> they do. Yeah. And so... Um, so yeah, it was, it was good years of just, uh, knowing God and serving and working and, um, going back to school and my, my experience at school turned out good. I was going to say, <laughs> we have a different experience this time. <laughs> we did. We did. So you worked for that dentist for 
five years. Mm-hmm. I love that dentist story, by the way. Yes. You told me that before. I love that. Uh, and when you moved back, which we're going to talk about where you went mm-hmm. and then came back, but didn't you, when you moved back to Shreveport, didn't yeah, you go back to work I did. for him for a, a I minute? I did. Okay. <laughs> I, I think that's so cool. Oh, no. I just, I love when people are, I, I love stories of where people are like, yeah, I'll take a risk. Mm-hmm. I'll take a chance on you. And yes. then it turns out, you know, and, and he, he will forever be such a huge part of your story, mm-hmm. that dentist. Yep. Yeah. I just think that's so cool. But, um, okay. So you worked for that dentist for five years mm-hmm. and then what'd you do? Um, or why did you leave the dentist office? I guess I should say. So I went to LSUS for two years. Um, and got all of my basic courses Mm -hmm. and was also working for the dentist and so it was really during this time um, that I really began to feel God put a burden on my heart for um, the nations Mm -hmm. and um, the way it kind of happened is um, I would just be praying or at church and it was like in my heart I could feel people from other countries just their brokenness and their lostness and that would just break my heart yeah and um, it was like I could see people that were different colors um, kind of in my mind I could I could see them and just feel like their lostness and so honestly this felt so natural to me that I just thought every Christian felt this way And um, anytime I would hear songs about nations or I would see on TV, you know, how they show the kids from other countries and like, oh, my gosh. Like, I would just sit and look at them and cry. And, um, and yeah, it was just this burden that I had in my heart. And so um, I began to share with a mentor of mine. I was like, doesn't everybody feel this? Like, if you're a Christian, don't you don't you have this? And she's like, well, not really. Well. <laughs> Maybe this is something specific, you know, to yeah. you. And um, then the Lord just began to speak to me through the life of Abraham. And that was really when it kind of got more specific for me. And, um, and you know, God blessed Abraham so that he could be a blessing, um, so that his offspring would be a blessing to the nations. And so God just really began to speak to me through his life, and he said, that's going to be your life. Like, your life is going to be a blessing so that you can bless other nations. And um, at the time, I was like, oh, gosh, that sounds really big. Uh, Okay. (laughs) That's intense. (laughs) And I've never even been on a missions trip or anything like that. So, um, and so uh, Pastor Philip and Destiny, who were in my life at the time, I had, you know, shared this with them and uh, they were all for it. (laughs) You know, they, of course, Destiny. And, and I was still very hesitant. Like, I was so, you know, young in my faith that um, I was like, I feel this, but I don't know. Yeah. Um, I'm just kind of beginning to read my Bible. And uh, and so, you know, things are very new to me in, yeah. this, in this Christian walk. And um, so I told God, I said, okay, if this is really you, I said, I want to go on a missions trip. And... A few months later, Shreveport Community had a missions trip mm-hmm. to El Salvador that came up. And so I said, okay, God, this is you. This must be you. 
<laughs> and um, I ended up going on that trip. And actually, um, my husband was on that trip. Uh, y'all weren't married yet. Though. We were not married yet. Did no. y'all meet? No, he had a girl, a girlfriend oh, okay. at that time. And um, so my husband, my now husband, was on that trip. Pastor Philip and Destiny mm-hmm. uh, were also on that trip. And I just remember when we got there, and we were at these schools, and we were just sharing God's word and praying for people. Just everything I had felt in my heart, I felt like it was being confirmed. And wow. God just saying, like, yes, like, yes, this is me. Yes, this is real. Um, this isn't something you've just imagined. This is mm-hmm. real. And um, and so I came back from that, and I was actually given the opportunity to lead a trip the next month down there. Wow. And so I was like, okay, uh, but this is really scary also. <laughs> so I went, and I did that, and that was an awesome experience. And then after that, I was given the opportunity to go and live full-time in El Salvador. Um, And so I kept on praying about it. I was still in college at that point, was Mm. doing my two years at LSUS, and I just couldn't get a piece about it. And so I really felt like God was saying, no, I want you to focus on your college and finish that. And so I said no to that opportunity, which that was like everything that was in my heart. But honestly, it just, it was not the right time. Like I was not ready, Mm -hmm. (laughs) not at all. And so um, it was soon after that, that I decided to go to school at Southeastern University in Florida, which is an Assembly of God University. Mm -hmm. And and so I decided to get my bachelor's there in practical theology um, with a minor in Spanish. Uh, I studied uh, Spanish in high school and then in college. And so, um, you know, it was just really feeling the call to ministry, call to work overseas. Um, I had no idea what that looked like. Mm-hmm. Honestly, I just knew what God had spoken to me. And um, I had gone on a few other trips, a few other short-term mission trips, and was just like, okay, this is it. This is it. Um, so I went to school. I finished at Southeastern. And um, and I guess even during my time at Southeastern, I had kind of like put the missions thing on the back burner in my heart. Cause it was like another two years. I'd kind of put that in the back burner of my heart. And I was doing, um, some residential life, um, serving there with the students. And I was really getting into that. And I was like, Oh, this is neat. I could see myself doing this, being a director here of, you know, one of the residential areas and was kind of heading in that direction. Um, and really it just kind of put the missions thing in the back of my heart. And honestly, in my heart, I really thought when I'm like 40 years old, Mm -hmm. that's when I'll do that Mm -hmm. because it just seems so far fetched. (laughs) It just seems so impossible. I mean, (laughs) and, um, and so I finished college. I was praying about what's my next step. I was really pursuing working with the residential life Um, department, working with students on a college campus, was interviewing and filling out applications um, once I finished school. And uh, there came a missions trip that came up. And uh, it was actually through Shreveport Community. And I remember um, kind of the last conversation that I had had with God about the missions thing was like, if 
if there's another trip that go, comes up, I want to go to the other side of the world. Like I want to go to Asia because before I had only been to El Salvador, Mexico, like Central America, Latin American countries. Um, and so I keep I feel like I keep telling God all these things. <laughs> he listens. <laughs> Apparently, he listens gosh. To you. Hey. <laughs> this lesson learned for all of us we just need to tell you and then you tell god because he listens to you but i did i said god i said on the next one like i want to see more i want to see you know another part of the world and i want it to be for a longer amount of time and so um it was it was during that uh time that i was you know applying for jobs and things and the opportunity came up with shreveport community and it was kind of like this fluke thing Someone had dropped off of their trip and they had an extra spot. And so they called me. They knew that I was coming back Mm -hmm. uh, during that time. And so I was literally driving home from Florida, which is an 18-hour car ride. So I don't know if this is good or bad to, like, make these types of decisions. (laughs) But they're like, okay, we need to know know in a day or so. And so they were basically going on a trip to Vietnam and Malaysia, and it was going to be for two weeks. And so they said, oh, you know, the person dropped out, or is this something you would want to do? And so I said, okay, let me pray about it and ask my parents because they were still, yeah, you know, they were still a part of my life. Yeah. And I still to this day talk to them about that kind of stuff. Um, and so during the car ride home, 18 hours. Like, a long time to pray. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I said, okay, I'm in. I'm going. I went on that trip to Malaysia and Vietnam, and it was during that time that I really felt God again say, saying, the time is now. Mm. The time is now. It's not going to be when you're 40 years old. I want you to really, really believe in this, and I want you to come back and serve here. And so, ah, scary. Which is funny. I, that's funny to me that you said that scared you because in your past life, yes. nothing scared you. Yes. And you were just like, yeah, whatever. I'll take mm-hmm. that. I'll drink that. I'll do that. I'll go yeah. there. And it's just, it's just interesting to me now on the flip side. You're like, um, are you are you sure? I'm like, ah. yeah. And I'm, listen, I, all I keep hearing is. The Lord got a hold of you, mm-hmm. and then he was like, well, it's about time. Yes. Let's go. Yes. Yes. And so um, so the opportunity that came up while I was there was for me to come back and to do a 10-month internship with this missions organization. And so part of my internship would be like a missions Bible school um, for the first two months. And then the rest of the time would be actually serving with a missionary that was on the field already. And so I came back home and (laughs) to tell my parents this, that was funny. I'm going to go to Malaysia, (laughs) which is a really long ways away. Really far, guys. (laughs) And so um, I came back and I just started praying about it. And again, here I am. I'm like, God, if this is really you, (laughs) I need you to confirm these things for me. And I was very specific with God um, about a few things. And I just kept praying about it. 
and and I felt like the Lord confirmed those things for me and it was like yes I want you to do that and it was a lot of money um, there was a lot of money involved to raise and to go to um, you know another country for 10 months was mm-hmm. was a big deal um, for me and so I really felt like I heard from the Lord and my parents they eventually were there in the beginning they're kind of like ah I don't know about that but um, eventually you know they just said we want you to be wherever God wants you mm-hmm. you know in the will of God ultimately and so um, so I kind of started that journey of raising my funds and it wouldn't be till the next year that I would actually leave and go to Malaysia and so um, so yeah that's kind of how how my missions journey started. Then after that, I went back and served for another two years with the same ministry that Mm -hmm. I ended up serving with during my internship. And you worked with women Mm -hmm. and children in human trafficking. I did. Is that correct? Yeah, So I did. Um, What was that like? That was so rewarding and so taxing all Mm -hmm. at the same time. Um, that was something that I literally just stumbled into. Um, when I went there, I didn't know that was what I was going to be doing. Um, they said, Hey, I think this would be a good fit for you to work with this ministry. And I was like, okay, I'll give it a shot. Um, and so it was really awesome. The ministry I worked with, they had a safe home for ladies that were in um, coming out of labor and sex trafficking. Mm -hmm. And so we actually lived with the ladies in the home. So here I am again in a home. (laughs) Yeah. Loving it. Loving it. (laughs) Here we are again. Communal living and Neely's loving it. Yeah. But that that truly did was full circle. It was. I mean, truly full circle. It was. And I mean, it's just amazing when God writes your story that... Like nothing is ever, ever wasted. There is yeah. not one thing that he will waste, you know, that's mm-hmm. that's going to be wasted. Um, and so we had a, a safe home for those women. We also went out onto the street into the red light areas and um, would just talk to and pray with ladies there. Um, and then we had a jewelry making business. And so we taught them how to make jewelry. And uh, we had the, the wonderful opportunity of, um, of sharing our faith with, with women that, you know, had never heard. And so um, it was so, so neat. During my time there, there were about 55 women that came through our home that actually wow. lived in the home. And uh, I felt so blessed to be a part of that. The missionary um, that had been there, she had been there for 10 years. And so I just, I felt like when, when we were there serving, it was just really a harvest time for her and that, you know, I was able to be there and to experience that um, and kind of ride on the curtails of, of all of her labor and, and what she had done there. And we had ladies live in our house that were from Vietnam, that were from Indonesia, that were from South Sudan, that were from the Philippines, that were from Malaysia. Um, And I I can't remember at one time all of those different women being in our house and us sitting in our living room and just praising God and worshiping him 
and the Lord just saying, like, this is what you saw. You know, this is what you saw in your heart years ago when you felt (laughs) that burden for people from other nations, like this is what it was. And, um, and, you know, these women had been in, in horrific situations and gone through things that, um, you know, no one should ever have to go through, but some of them, you know, received such healing, physical healing, emotional healing. Um, not all of them were in sex trafficking. Some of them were in labor trafficking. Mm-hmm. Um, there's still, you know, abuse in, in those situations. Yeah. Um, but I'll share this one story because uh, mm-hmm. one of the girls from Cambodia that she had been uh, labor trafficked there and had been in a horrible situation and had gotten out of that situation and was living with us until she could get back to Cambodia. And so we would always give the girls a Bible in their language. Um, and so we gave her uh, a Bible in the Khmer, Khmer language, Cambodian language. And um, she went and for like two weeks, I mean, every morning she would just get up and like read and read and read and read. And we were all kind of like, okay, she's just like really wanting to read this Bible yeah. a lot. And after about two weeks, I'll never forget it, (laughs) she came to me and she was a little bit upset and she looked at me and she was like, how come someone has never told me and my family about Jesus? And I just remember just sitting there and just being Mm -hmm. like, you know, this is why I'm doing what I'm doing is Mm -hmm. because... There are people, even now, even as we sit here and speak this, there are people still that have not heard of Jesus and have not heard of who he is. And she was so, so grateful. She was from a small village in Cambodia, um, had never heard of, of, of God, of Jesus, Jesus Christ, God's son. Um, and so, uh, you know, we got to lead her in salvation. And then, you know, she eventually went back and, and went back to her country. But... Um, There were so many moments like that, so many opportunities where we really just had a clean slate, you know, of people that didn't really know a lot about God. Um, And so it was it was incredible. It was a very rewarding um, time. Yeah. So you were there for two years Mm -hmm. during that. And then you came back home. Is Mm -hmm. that right? I came back home. me and my husband Brandon were actually dating during the two years that I was there, and mm-hmm. so we had a lot of Skype and wow. emails. That's true long distance. True long distance, <laughs> yes. Um, and so whenever I came back home, we actually ended up getting married. Mm-hmm. And a little another cool part to the story is that uh, my husband Brandon was also on that internship, the beginning internship that I did. So mm-hmm. he was one of the three people that was on that internship. Um, and so he was also filling a call to missions and ministry. And, um, so we dated for those two years. And then once I came back, uh, we got married and he was actually also serving with the missions organization during the summer. He was coming over and running their missions training school. And Mm -hmm. so I did get to see him, uh, for the two summers that I was there, which was fun. And, um, and so, yeah, when I came back, we decided to get married and then we both really felt like that we were to go back and to serve. And so we got married and then seven months later, we went to Vietnam. 
so wild. We're kind of oh. wild ones. Yes. <laughs> Love that. Okay, so what? why Vietnam specifically? Um, it was more so the opportunity that came up with the organization that we mm-hmm. were working with. And so they had an opportunity there for us to teach English, uh, work with the church there. And so... Um, we decided to go and we both had always said that, you know, we wanted to be in an area where there were unreached people groups, where there Mm -hmm. were groups of people that have, you know, never, ever heard. Um, and so in Malaysia, there's a, um, a bigger population of Christians and the Christian church is, is relatively large there. Um, and Vietnam, it's there is a Christian church there, but it's still growing, and so there's still pockets and areas that are still considered unreached. Mm-hmm. And so we really wanted to be in an area where we were near that. Wow! And how yeah. long were you in Vietnam? We were in Vietnam for two years. And you'd only been married seven months. When yes. You were... Wow. <laughs> That's like marriage counseling to the extreme. It is. And let me tell you, real marriage counseling is riding on a motorbike with your husband. And and my husband is six foot three. He is. And he's a big guy. And I mean, I'm kind of small (laughs) in comparison to him. And so we were two really big Americans on a motorbike. And the traffic in Vietnam, it's crazy, y'all. I mean, just imagine playing chicken on a road when you're driving a motorbike. That's what it feels oh, like. So yeah, he our, our conversations on the motorbike, this is what they were. He would say, would you just hush and trust? Hush and trust. That, that'll preach though. Yes. Really? So. That's funny. So two years in Vietnam mm-hmm. and then y'all came back home. Mm-hmm. And we how came. long ago? And you've been home. We've Since, been home, right? yeah. So we've been home for three years now. Okay. Mm-hmm. So we've been home for three years. When we came home, um, we decided we wanted to have a baby. We got pregnant really quickly, <laughs> like a month after we came home. <laughs> and so um, we had a little girl. So she's almost three now. And um, and we just really felt like we were supposed to be here for a little bit of time. Um, we eventually want to go back and want to serve there full time. Mm-hmm. Um, but we just feel like for now we're to be here. Yeah. And do you have anything specific as far as like when you say go back, mm-hmm. do you have a specific place or just um, back out into the nations? Yeah. I, I mean, I think since we did spend time in Malaysia and Vietnam, those places are, I guess, more sensitive to our heart just mm-hmm. because we've lived there. Yeah. Um, so if we did go, it would be one of those places for sure. It's always been in my heart to help women. Um, and so I do foresee something um, happening in that direction with yeah. women Um, and I think it just has to do with like what I went through Mm -hmm. and just knowing that there is healing and restoration for women that are broken, that are in those hopeless situations. Um, so I know that would definitely be part of it. Yeah. I know. And I, I think that's, what's so cool about, you know, not just you being in Vietnam and Malaysia, 
because that itself is really cool, but just how God orchestrated that to mm-hmm. truly be full circle. Like mm-hmm. the fact that you lived with those women mm-hmm. that were coming out of drug abuse and addiction and physical mm-hmm. and sexual abuse, you know, when you yourself had been there. Mm-hmm. It's just, I mean, you just can't, you can't even write that, you mm-hmm. know? It's, mm-hmm. I think that's just so cool mm-hmm. how the Lord has done that in your life. So I'm really excited to see where he takes you next. Yes. Me I mean, too. I don't want to lose you. <laughs> but I'm excited to see where. Well, we're here for a little bit. Yeah, where um, you're sent. Yeah, so it's it's all part of his story, and you know I think I've just had to learn to trust and just trust his timing again because you know for me sometimes I want my life to be like a straight line, <laughs> mm-hmm. but God's like we're gonna turn here and we're gonna turn here and yeah. it's gonna be another turn. And so I think, you know, just just trusting him again and saying, ultimately, like, God, I'm part of your plan in the earth. Like, I get to do this because you invited me into this, you know, and I'm going to trust you and just trust his authorship, you know, his him writing the story. When you transitioned out of that halfway house. Hmm. Have you had any, since then, have you had any times in your life where it's been like a temptation to mm-hmm. go back or, you know, that those mm-hmm. thoughts have come back? Have you had any moments like that? I would say like the first, like the first two years, it was really, you know, really strong. I would say, um, having that urge, but I feel like there came a point where God just removed that desire from my heart and mm. just gave me the desire to to obey him, you know, and to love him um, in place of that desire yeah. to want to go and, and do those things Yeah. where now, like, I have a stronger desire, you know, to please him and to love him, whereas before it was the other way. Mm-hmm. Um, it was self, mm-hmm, yeah, self-focused. Mm-hmm. Yeah, okay. But it was a process, you know, and I think just um, slowly God healing me and restoring me, and it, you know, it didn't happen overnight by yeah. any means. Um, but it was a a slow process. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas now I'm like 17 years on the other side of that. Wow. So. That's amazing. Mm-hmm. 17 years. Yep. Incredible. Well, what what's some advice you would give uh, to a woman, potentially, that would listen to this conversation we're mm-hmm. having that has walked any of those roads with, mm-hmm. you know, addiction and. I would say just, you know, surround yourself in some type of community and some type of church or group um, of people that are really going to be able to hold you accountable and have honest conversations with you because, I mean, we just need that. Yeah. <laughs> we just need that so much. And um, and it may be uncomfortable to do that, um, to be vulnerable, to um, place yourself, um, you know, to be vulnerable. But I, I would say that would be one of the main things. And then um, just serve other people, you know, find a way to, to serve at church or in the community, mm-hmm. um, where you can really give out 
and not be focused on yourself, but where you can really give, um, and, and love Jesus, just let him love you, you know, and just spend time with him, spend time with him and let him love you. Yeah. And this question just now just came to my heart. So I I feel like I need to ask it because this is a very sensitive topic, but if there's a woman listening who has experienced a rape, mm-hmm. what's something you would tell her? Mm-hmm. I would tell her to find someone that she can trust and talk to that person, um, whether it be a counselor or a friend or a pastor, and commit herself to walking through the healing journey. Um, it's not going to happen overnight. Um, it will take time, but she can get to the other side of it. I know for me, um, I saw a professional counselor um, as well as had pastors and mentors and friends that, you know, helped me process through that. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just think it's so important that you do not keep it a secret because when we keep things in and we keep them as secrets, then they have power over our lives. But when we can um, express it and bring it into the light, then that's really when healing and transformation can happen. Yeah. So that would be my encouragement. There is someone out there to listen and you know commit yourself to processing through that pain. Yeah, that's great. I love that. Thank you. Um, okay, well, I have some fun, lighthearted questions oh, for yay. you now. Okay. If you like. Yes. Um, the question that I ask everyone, what are three things that you do in your every day, in your day-to-day? Every day. Okay. Ooh, I like these questions. <laughs> <laughs> these are fun. I drink coffee every day. Oh, ah, yes. <gasps> I love coffee. We learned where that love came yes. from. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I love coffee. Another thing that I do every day is use my Limelight products. What Ooh-hoo. is that? My face wash. Oh, moisturizer. Okay. Yeah, skincare. So my face wash, moisturizer, and uh, this certain serum that they have. It's called One Drop Wonder. Mm. I'm like hooked on these products. That's funny you say <laughs> that because this not this whole time we've been talking but for several like moments that we've talked I'm like god her skin looks so great <laughs> so that's hilarious and that's and that's that true. is well it's working I love like I've always been into like certain types of face wash mm-hmm. and um and so, the one that I used before this was one that I used for like seven years and like they discontinued it and I still tried to find which one it was it on like I would get them mailed to me in Malaysia and Vietnam because it's like I have to have my face wash <laughs> like if I have nothing else and I'm trying to just give me yeah. my face wash just, yeah that's all we need <laughs> um and then another thing that I do every day I try to do this every day is spend time with Jesus yeah. in some way you know some way or some fashion mm-hmm. what what are your favorite ways to spend time with the Lord um I have my Jesus Calling devotional. Oh, yeah. That I don't know how. I think this is probably like my third or fourth time to read through it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's great. It's great. Um, so I have that that I read, and then I kind of venture off from there into different scriptures. Um, 
And then sometimes I'll look at like Joyce Meyer devotional, my Desiring God devotional to kind of see from there. Um, And yeah, I just kind of like to, I kind of find scriptures and then I'll go and study more about them Mm -hmm. on my phone, Googling what words mean, kind of diving more into it. Yes. So fascinating. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay, so those are so three things. You drink coffee every day. Drink coffee. Use your face wash. Well, your skincare line. Yes. And spend time with Jesus. Yes. In some way, shape, or form. I love it. Um, okay, what are some books you've read in your in your life that have made an impact on you? Okay. I recently read this one that's called Everyone's Normal Till You Get to Know Them by John Ortberg. <laughs> Never heard of it. You've got to read it. Look, if you're listening to this, (laughs) please go buy it on Amazon and read it. It is a phenomenal book. Um, It's about that none of us are normal. Yeah. (laughs) Hallelujah. Um, But that we all need each other and we need to be in community. And so he just gives this beautiful aspect perspective on community living in community with people mm-hmm. that are pretty much all messed up <laughs> which is all of us hey, yeah. hey um and that how that you know that's how God created us to live but it's so so good he has a chapter in that book called roof crashers that's all I'm gonna tell y'all because I want you to go read it <laughs> roof I'm crashers intrigued. yes okay it's um, from the story in the Bible about the four men that carry the paralytic, and it is a, it's about friendship. It will rock your world. I printed it out, which sorry, copyright, um, and like gave it to people <laughs> because it was so so good. Just that chapter of the book. Yeah. Um, another book that I've read is Unshakable Hope by Max Lucado, and. That is a very simple read. It's all about the different promises of of God. Mm -hmm. And um, just a good, good, like, staple book that you can pick up, the promises of God that you can stand on. And then another book is Redeeming Love Mm -hmm. by Francine Rivers. Beautiful book of redemption and um, how God redeems us and loves us. Yeah. That's I haven't I have read that one, but it's been I mean it's been several years. Mm-hmm. I need to I need to reread it because I I loved it. Yes, that's awesome. Um, what are two interesting facts about you that may surprise people? Okay, I've learned and studied three different languages. What? So Spanish language was the first one, and then the Malaysian language, and then Vietnamese. Wow. Are you fluent in all three? No. Uh, <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, no. I would say probably the Malaysian language I'm the most fluent in um, because in high school and college I studied Spanish. Mm-hmm. So it was more on the grammatical, the yeah. writing, reading, not as much speaking. Um, and then Vietnamese is a tonal language. It is mm. another level. My husband is wonderful at speaking Vietnamese. He is? He is. He is really good. I did not know that about him. <laughs> so we have this little thing because, like, I can remember all the words to say, but saying them and pronouncing them mm-hmm. is horrible mm-hmm. for me. I'm not good at doing that. So, like, I would tell him what to say. <laughs> 
He was your translator? And yes, and he could <laughs> pronunciate it, per- not perfectly, but way better than me. Yeah. So that's really cool. Yeah. I mean, I, I guess that makes sense. You live in, in each place for two years. Obviously, mm-hmm. you've probably picked up pretty well, but mm-hmm. three languages, yeah. well, four, really, if you include mm-hmm. English. It's true. Add that to the list. So he, that's neat. Yeah. What's another fun fact? Um, most people don't know this about me, but when I was little, I was really into beauty pageants. Stop. <laughs> When I was like five years old, I did my first beauty pageant, and did you I win? loved it. I never won one beauty pageant, but I loved. But you loved it. Getting dressed up and going out there and twisting around on the stage and. Oh my stars! How long did you do pageants? I did pageants until I was maybe like thirteen or fourteen. That's amazing. Yes. We'll include pictures in the show notes. Yes. <laughs> Of my big bouffant oh, hair, like, back yes. in the day. <laughs> then Now, that does surprise me. I would never have guessed that. Yep. That's funny. Oh, my gosh. Did your mom look? Was she, a, like, a pageant mom? No. no. And, like, I guess when I did, um, because this was almost, let's see, I'm 36. So, you know, this was, like, 30 years ago. So, 30 years ago, pageants were very simple mm-hmm. back then mm-hmm. you know you wore just a little bit of makeup and like a Sunday dress and we did wear some more pageant dresses but no my mom wasn't into it I just told her I want to do a pageant and so on my first pageant my mom and my sister came and I said y'all just go out there and <laughs> and sit and I'm, I got this I got it <laughs> got it oh my gosh what was your talent no, so I did ones where we didn't have to do oh, talent. Okay. Yeah, because I don't think I would have talent like gymnastics. I did do gymnastics all my life, but no, I did the ones where you never had to do a talent. Okay. So oh, it was just amazing. fun, and you dressed up, and yeah. Um, Why not? That's so cool. Okay, well, thank you, Neely, for being here, and thank you for being brave and bold and sharing your story with us, and just touching hearts and. Thank you for what you've done for the world, you know, mm-hmm. just reaching the nations and going places that nobody else wants to go and reaching people that, you know, most of the world has either forgotten about or doesn't want to go, mm-hmm. you know, and you and your husband are out there doing it. Mm-hmm. And I know y'all are here yeah. right now, but it won't be forever, mm-hmm. you know, and mm-hmm. I know you know that in your heart, but um, I don't know. I just, I think that's really cool that y'all have just been faithful and obedient and said, mm-hmm. hey send me here Mm -hmm. i am so just thank you for being faithful and thanks so much for sharing your story today thank you okay okay hey we did it all right y'all that's a wrap for today i hope that you feel encouraged by neely's story i hope that you gained some insight some wisdom all the things from her because if you couldn't tell she is just packed full of power she is absolutely amazing And make sure that you check out the show notes before you leave. Um, How to Connect with Neely is going to be there. The books that she referenced that have impacted her life. Some other fun things we're going to list in the show notes. And as always, we got to tell you all to do the fun podcast stuff. Uh, Make sure you go find us. Hit that subscribe button. Just makes us look a lot better to the world. Um, Give us a good rating. You know, just say all the fun, nice things. Um, It just helps us out as we get our name out there. We want this encouragement to spread everywhere we can. So if you enjoyed this today, if you've enjoyed the other episodes, we'd really appreciate it if you would go hit subscribe and give us that nice five-star rating and maybe a fun little review. All right, y'all. Hope you have a great week. See you next time.